Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favour to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of The Call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at osbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, everyone. Bang on midday Australian Eastern Standard Time. Great to have your company for the call here on Ausbiz. Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. Great to have your company for the next 60 minutes as we talk stocks, stocks and more stocks. Uh, the call is where we analyse 10 stocks that you've suggested I put to our expert panel for, uh, for their analysis and uh, so much happening with reporting season at the moment that uh, there are so many questions on so many stocks at the moment. So we're going to get through them all today with our panel, Adam Dawes from Shoreham Partners. Dawesy, good to see you. Nathan Thomas and Darham from uh, Deep Data Analytics. Good to see you. Are you, uh, Nathan, uh, um, have, have you a general top level description on how you're seeing reporting season at the moment? Uh, lots of cash being dished out to shareholders. Yeah, I don't think anyone's surprised by that. Uh, there's a lot of uh, cash generation. Uh, there's, I mean, I guess you're getting the flow on effect from all the handouts and the stimulus. Uh, but I think the market is at the moment, when you're looking at the reporting season, it's, it's about risk management. You know, things are moving around even before the result, after the result, big moves. So it's all about uh, damaging damage control at this point. So you just don't want to get hit by one of the bad news. Yep, exactly. Um, bad news is being really punished on the markets more than usual. Uh, Dorsey, um, how are you seeing the, uh, the reporting season? And, and your clients must be pretty happy with some of the special dividends that have come out and buybacks. Yeah, look, it's certainly uh, fantastic, really, to be honest, uh, the, the amount of money that's splashing around and certainly those buybacks with the banks leading the way and now even Woolies today doing a $2 billion buyback as well. That's fantastic. Look, the, the, today's our busiest day in reporting season with over 27 companies reporting today. I don't know how any retail investor, let alone any you know re, uh, institution can get their head around 27 reports in one day, especially to make some kind of straight investment thesis on each individual company but yeah it, it has been moving around so much it, the dividends have been pretty good and i'm really, really happy with that it's just really about these outlook statements and that's what's concerning me a little bit is some of these out uh, some some of these companies have decided not to provide guidance or not to provide outlook and that does muddy the water a little bit says to for us to be making a decision moving forward for the next 12 months yeah, okay, let's get into it because um, I choose a stock of the day. I'm clumping two together because 
they're, they're in the same sector. And uh, here on the call, there's a, a theme over the last year, uh, opening stocks, travel stocks. When we start to get back to some semblance of uh, normal, well, uh, two of the biggest names in that travel sector uh, uh, reported today. Qantas and Flight Centre dropped their results. Uh, first, Qantas reporting full year net loss uh, narrowing um, on a year earlier, coming in at $1.7 billion. Statutory loss, $2.3 billion. Still ugly figure as the grounding of its international fleet continues to dent profits. Stripping out some of the one-off items, earnings came in $410 million near the bottom end of the company's guidance, but in line with a lot of forecasts. On the pandemic, the company um, saw $12 billion stripped out of revenue for the last financial year. Wow. And uh, forecasts by the end of this calendar year, COVID will have cost the company $20 billion in revenue. Looking ahead, the airline's expecting to restart international services at the end of this calendar year, uh, with flying in the first half of next year to be around 15% of pre-COVID levels domestically. Qantas expects to see a surge in domestic travel if we reach those critical vaccination targets. Uh, Flight Centre, meantime, reporting a $507 million loss uh, in line with guidance. Total transaction values coming in at just under $4 billion with the second half providing a big boost. Company noting the loss of JobKeeper hit its bottom line hard, but the ongoing vaccine rollout is assisting a return to normal trading conditions in the medium term. Graham Turner, uh, the chief executive and founder, saying the company continues to target a return to profitability for leisure and corporate travel in fiscal 2022. Uh, Dorsey, how did you see these results and how does it position Qantas and Flight Centre to, um, to, that, to that opening sort of theme going forward? No. Oh, I think we lost. Oh, I, think we, I think we've lost your audio there. Uh, let's go to Maitham while we try and reconnect with you, Adam. Maitham, what did you think of the results from both? Oh, look, you know, it's a, it's an ugly macro. Everyone knows that. Um, but I think the, the turnaround story, um, again, we, we were positive on the travelling stocks. Um, and then when the New, New South Wales cluster started, we actually got out of the travel stocks um, because once a cluster starts, they tend to go on and on. And uh, we're seeing that now. So it's come back. Look, it's, it's a tough one. Even Warren Buffett didn't want to get into the airlines yep. and then he got into the airlines and then he lost money and then he got out. Uh, that just tells you how hard it is to invest in airlines. Um, Qantas is probably one of the better ones in the world. But look, it's going to take a bit of time. Um, look, the timetable at the moment is end of this year. Um, I think it'll be longer than that. Uh, the sentiment will start to improve gradually, but it'll take time. So you're not going to get there probably till 2020, the back half of 2022. So it's still, still a long way away. Um, look, they got huge handouts that's helped them last year. It's probably not going to be around. So in that context, things are going to be hard. Flight Center has one thing working for it. It's a massively shorted stock. So you've seen some decent bounce back in the last couple of days. It's just short covering. So you'll get that pop. So that's the advantage with Flight Center. But again, Flight Center, it'll take time to recover. The reality is the vaccine boost that the developed markets are getting, 
will not hit the uh, underdeveloped markets uh, for a while. So if you're thinking of where the third world countries and all the main transport locations are going to be, those things will take a lot longer than what people think. So again, you needed the vaccine play to go everywhere fast and quickly. That doesn't look like what is going to happen. We're looking at booster shots in next year. So I think you will get an open-up thematic, but there are much better stocks to play the open-up thematic than just airline and travel because those mm. things will go on and off every time there's a cluster and every time there's cases break out. Okay, so you wouldn't get into either of them at the moment? No. Look, if you, uh, look, Qantas is a good asset play over the long term, but you've got to have a multi-year approach. It could go lower in the next year. So it's just, for me, the macro doesn't stack up yet. Yep. Okay. Uh, Dulcie, uh, we've got you back. What do you think of the, um, the result? I was amazed at a couple of things. Qantas Freight shooting the lights out sort of reminds you it's not just bums on seats, it's the cargo underneath. Um, yeah. uh, loyalty is still generating a fair bit of cash and 95% of its domestic flights at the moment are cash positive. Well, it was always that domestic side of things that was doing really well for Qantas, and they and basically they had uh, a lot of that stuff uh, already sort of baked into the numbers, as it were. So I think Alan Joyce is right to sort of come out to the market and say, look, we're, by December we're going to get things moving again, and we're going to do that. I mean, he has to say that he doesn't know, the government doesn't know, and nobody knows when this thing's going to uh, happen. He did say one of the big uncertainties is whether fully vaccinated travellers will need to quarantine in hotels or be allowed to quarantine at home when they return to Australia. The, obviously, the current policy 14-day hotel quarantine will yeah. result in a low demand for international travellers. So that's something that, you know, when we get to this stage, OK, we're going to open up, but how are we going to open up and what's going to happen? If I was pushed to look for a stock, I'd say Qantas would be the one I'd look at. I don't like Flight Centre. Um, it's, it's been a tough stock for many, many people. And as, and as rightly pointed out, um, you know, this thing will come off very, very quickly if we come into another snap lockdown. Right. OK. So uh, so what would you have Qantas as more of a hold there than? Uh, no, look, I, I've got yeah, I've got clients who, who hold Qantas and we haven't sold it. So, uh, I, you know, with this price action over the last three days, I'd probably wait till the dust settles a little bit yeah. for a buy. So for me, it's a hold uh, and it's a no for Flight Centre. OK. All right, um, let's get into the stocks that you want us to take a look at. And Adam, Josh wants a view on St. Barbara. Uh, Josh says, dropped significantly from its highs in 2020. Management doesn't seem to deliver as well as other goldies, but keen to hear thoughts from the experts on these levels. Nonetheless, of course, St. Barbara, gold mining company with interest in Australia and Papua New Guinea, the uh, big one is the Leonora uh, site in WA. Um, what yeah. do you think of St. Barbara? And is, uh, is Josh right? Doesn't seem to deliver as, as well as other gold stocks? Well, absolutely. And we'll, we'll probably see a chart in a second and you'll totally understand why it hasn't uh, performed so well. Um, there has been some big impairments that this business has having to go through around about 275 million non-cash impairment with respect to the Atlantic operation that they've got for its full year 2021 result. Uh, so that has been uh, an issue. Uh, and then there's some been some permitting, permitting issues 
as well uh, with some of their open pit approvals as well. So uh, I, I think that that's one of the reasons why the stock is, has gone down. Secondly, I think that the overall um, that the business is okay, but getting these sort of uh, timely restarts for these plants and those kinds of things, uh, it wouldn't be an area that I would be in. I think the recommendation is that obviously with this higher gold price or this gold price that's been fairly buoyant, it should provide a bit of midterm support to the share price. But look, there's some, certainly some better ones out there. And that for me is Newcrest, Northern Star and Evolution. So they're my sort of three top picks in this space. So it's a um, no from me, Koshi. Uh, Nathan, how do you rate St. Barbara? Yeah, look, we, we're positive on the gold stocks, uh, but uh, San Barbara doesn't quite make the cut. Uh, look, uh, Dosey's right. I mean, we've been long uh, Northern Star, uh, Silver Lake, Regis, Gold Road, um, and West Gold. Um, the whole play for me is about the Aussie gold miners because the falling Aussie dollar and stable spot gold gives you a decent play. So we're around 2,500 Aussie dollars. So most of these uh, Aussie gold miners are churning out good cash just like everyone else, churn out more cash. Uh, so, you know, they're starting to pay dividends. God, God forbid, gold miners paying dividends. Uh, so <laughs> in that environment, you want to be in the guys who are doing well. Um, yep. You know, you don't want to be in the guys that are struggling operationally. And San Barbara has had, you know, it's it's a classic one. It's a bit like Newcrest. Uh, you know, I know Dozy loves uh, Newcrest, but for me, it's just there, there are a few players in the market that every so often they just turn up a dead body and you just go, why, why are you there? And <laughs> this is one of those, you just know that every six months something's gonna go wrong and the track record is impeccable and, and the caller is right. It is one that's had problems and always seems to find problems. You just don't, don't wanna go into that kind of management track record. Yeah, and it's funny where, when the commodities had a decent run and your company isn't doing well, that's a good sign that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like people cover. trying to it's try, it's like people trying to buy tech stocks at the bottom now. If the tech stock hasn't done well in the last couple of years, there's something wrong with it. Yep, yep, exactly right. All right, yeah. Matt wants a view, Nathan, on McMahon. This is uh, a mining services company um, uh, globally. Um, what do you think of McMahon? Yeah, look. This is a sector I've been looking at for the last couple of years because we've been long the mining stocks since middle of last year. We got out around May, June. We thought the inflation trade, my commodity prices were too high. China was flagging, things were going to slow down. And we have started to see that. But that never flowed through to the mining services. They were cheap. They're, they're the classic trade. You've got high commodity prices. You've got miners churning out cash. I mean, hell, they're paying dividends. Uh, so in that context, you would have thought CapEx would be growing. CapEx did not grow. They're, they're not spending. I mean, miners are being very um, conservative. They're not going out there punching holes for no reason. So mining services always a tough business because they're low margin play. I mean, McMahon's doing okay. They're winning contracts. They're holding it together, um, like a number of other ones. Um, I think NRW has been one of the better performers. But the reality is, overall, the mining services sector has struggled. I know if you look at the index, it looks good because Seven Group just dominates it. And Seven Group is just not mining services. It's got so many other things now. Uh, but if you look at all the mining services stocks, they just haven't delivered. And if you look at the CapEx outlook, they're not doing that well. So look, I, I don't think McMahon's is the best management out there, but I don't think they're the worst either. But it's just a tough sector. I, I just don't think when you're picking 10, 15 stocks, mining services right now just are not delivering the upside on a risk return basis to jump in. So 
I just don't think it's worth it. Is that because mining companies this cycle round are, are more sensible than they've been in the past? Sort of at the height of booms, they just splash money everywhere on takeovers or expansion. Uh, now the accountants are running them. Yeah, well, they're divesting assets. <laughs> they're actually selling assets and, you know, uh, they're becoming more efficient when prices go up, which is kind of scary. Uh, I mean, I remember the last cycle good. when you knew the top of the commodity market was uh, when, when you had the article saying $200,000 truck drivers. Um, I think now the top of the cycle was when uh, people uh, coined the term super cycle again, commodity super cycle. That was right. the top of the cycle. Yeah. Uh, but look, I think the miners are being managed, as you said, as well as they've been managed in the last decade. Mm-hmm. And they're all doing the right thing. And, you know, credit to them. Just yep. buy the miners. No need to go to the mining services. Yep. Uh, Adam? Yeah, so it, it, it's an interesting one because uh, I agree with Nathan. It's, it, it, it is a tough one and you'd think that businesses would continue with that capex. Commodities have been fantastic and we've all been on the commodity trade. So you'd think that would flow down the line. But if you just look at, say, something like a Monodelphus yesterday reporting, their, their issue is the costing of their staff. Because you can't get the fly-in, fly-out contractors anymore, they have to pay top yeah. dollar for, you know, WA kind of uh, uh, residents to sort of move in. And because of COVID, it has really locked down a lot of what they can do. So I think those cost pressures uh, will continue. And that's potentially why the market's probably not gravitating to that because, uh, like, you know, a bus driver or, or someone who hoses people off when they get out of the mines, they're getting paid 120 grand to do it. I mean, it's a great job if you can get it. But I think that that is going to be a continued theme that will go through the uh, mining services business. Um, my probably pick is, is on price action. Yesterday it was probably Monodelphus as far as it's one of the bigger ones in the sector. McMahon, I think you, you're probably best to move away from it at these levels. It hasn't really done anything and uh, potentially you could find somewhere else. One of the catalysts is going to be their update for their Telfer mine and for the Tropicana mine, which is going to come out soon. So that might be a bit of a catalyst to re-rate the share price. But in the meantime, I think there's better places to be. Uh, so it's a no from me. Okay. All right. Uh, Adam, Rosie wants a view on ReadyTech Holding, a, uh, a software developer um, focusing on the education uh, and employment market. Um, turned in a pretty good result in the last week or so. Yeah, it was it wasn't too bad. Uh, net net profit after tax and, amor- and amortisation was ten point six million, which is about fourteen percent ahead of uh, most of the, of the market's forecasts. So look, EBITDA also grew by twenty two percent as well. So look, it, it was certainly a, a good result. Education and the workforce solutions was certainly uh, the, the the standouts, I guess, in in that sector. One of the things that I do think about this business is is that it is. Uh, has, has a good customer base and it has some very good outlook. There is talk of this business, uh, for, you know, uh, as well as going to outlook for 2026 that they can so they can give us some guidance. And I think that is certainly one of the the issues is is that they are able to look at that guidance and give us that guidance, and and hence the share price has definitely moved. One of the downside risks is uh, that they're not achieving that guidance and thus you know reducing confidence. But I think this one is looking good. And if they can continue to track, gain traction in winning contracts and for their enterprise customers, I think this is a good one. So I'm going to say yes to this one. I think uh, if, if I've got a company that can, with confidence, go out to 2026 and look at revenue targets, I think I'll back them. So it's a, it's a yes okay. from me on this one. 
All right. And Nathan, interesting, they said 87% of their revenue is now recurring revenue subscriptions uh, for the software as well. Uh, what do you think of ReadyTech? Yeah, whenever you, so I hear the terms HR, tech, I always roll my eyes because there's so many of them, there's so many competition and so it's a tough industry. But yeah. these guys have, you know, have a really good customer base. It's a really solid business. So underlying business is solid. Reoccurring uh, revenue is is a great thing. Um, I mean, I remember the same kind of thematics being rolled out about uh, RPM Global. And I know Gaurav used to bash me over the head about it for about 40 <laughs> cents. I think he's looking and the, the, the thing went three times. I can't shut him up about it now. Um, so in context, you have to look at things that are stable, steady, have a really good customer base, have a reoccurring revenue stream. And, you know, it's just tick, tick, tick. Um, looking at the numbers, it looks pretty solid. I look, I think, is it cheap? I don't think it's cheap, but it's good quality. It's got a guidance. It's, it's looking very stable. So it's just never going to be that cheap. Um, look, I think it keeps grinding higher. So if you're in it, um, you, you know, you shouldn't be getting out. They're doing the right thing. Everything seems to be in line. Um, it's going to be tough to get in, but because it's had a run. But look, where the market is trading, this one is actually not bad. So, yeah, I'd be buying into it. it, it look, it's not the cheapest thing to buy, but I think it's, it looks solid. Okay. All right. Two ticks there for uh, ReadyTech. Um, next stock to have a, a look at, um, AVA Risk Management. These are basically a security group, is it, uh, that looks after infrastructure um, um, projects, uh, um, defence perimeters, things like that, Nathan? Yeah, look, uh, it's, had a, it's had its run. Um, you know, you always look for the stocks that have run up and then come back and they consolidate. Now they're looking to divest their services division. Um, you know, that always puts out a red flag for me when people divest assets. Um, either they are divesting a bad asset or like link asset management, selling out their best asset. Um, so you kind of have to always <laughs> worry when divest things. Uh, so again, in this business, I just find it funny how the stock price has come off in the last uh, you know seven, eight months, and then they're looking to divest. That's always a red flag for me. Why don't you divest when things are going good? Why do you divest when things are going bad? Um, this is usually what tells me when management is worried about growth outlook um, and trying to keep the story going. Yeah, I, it's a small micro cap stock. It's, yeah, it's not big enough. And when the story doesn't quite stack up for me, it's, you know, when you're trying to pick 10 to 15 stocks in your portfolio, this doesn't quite stay up there. Uh, the momentum's not on it. The market's not buying into it. Brokers are not buying into it. So um, I'd say it's going to struggle. Okay. Uh, Adam, AVA? Yeah, look, I think this one's in a downgrade cycle. So I, I, I agree with Nathan on this one. I, I think that it is going to struggle going forward. They did lose a um, Indian Ministry of Defence contract that rolled off in the second half of this year. And that has been a, probably a, a bigger issue for these guys that they're going to have to find a new contract to replace that one. So you've got this sort of, and uh, you know, potentially this is why the stock has fallen from where it is. It is in a bit of a downgrade cycle. I know there's a couple of brokers that cover it that are in that downgrade cycle and they basically trying to keep their buy price on it. But with the share price continuing to fall, I think this is one that you would avoid wait for the dust uh, to clear and then potentially 
take a, another stake at this one. And if they do win another contract or, or something of that effect, that might then re-rate the stock. But at the moment, I think it's in a downgrade cycle and I'd be, I'd be staying away from it. Okay. All right. Stay away from uh, from AVA. Um, Damien wants to view uh, Adam on Hub24 saying, what's the, the panel think of it as a long-term hold after the results? The results came out a couple of days ago. Uh, revenue up 34%. Uh, EBITDA up 47%. Uh, Goldman Sachs well. liked it, uh, yeah. increase their uh, target, uh, put a buy rating or maintain the buy rating on a target of about 30 bucks a share. What do you think of a Hub24? Yeah, I'm going to stick with uh, our analysts on this one from Shoreham Partners. We've got a price target of $31.11 on it, so we're a little, probably a little bit higher than the rest of the street. But look, the guidance was absolutely massive for 2022 and 2023. They're saying there's a 10% upgrade to the top end uh, across all of their funds under advice, as well as that they're looking through to uh, start to look to pass some of those profits, as well as including dividends going forward. So this one, we've seen some unparalleled growth prospects for this one. And this is why I really like it is that because it's really sticking it to the big major banks uh, that were that was obviously a dominating factor many many years ago, and now you've got Hub and NetWealth competing against these guys because those fund funds under advice is absolutely massive. So look, I, I think that this one is a really good stock. Um, you know, we've seen the likes of something like a Magellan starting to fall. What I've been doing is cycling some clients out of Magellan and putting them into a Hub. Um, and it's a, and it's a nice sort of trade to sort of get those clients who sort of like that funds management world, but um, in a good solid company that I think that will will deliver substantially to shareholders over the next year or so. So it's a buy from me. Okay. Um, even though it's it's beyond Goldsman's target range, almost at the thirty one dollars of your analysts. Uh, more to go, Adam. Yeah. Look, I think so. It's 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 all about funds under advice or funds under management. And yeah. these guys continue to to make it. And the, and the reason why they're able to do it so well with NetWealth is that technology platform is second to none. We, we're all used to dealing with the, the BTs, the Macquaries, the the, the, the the RAP platforms as such, and they're always clunky. They are absolutely ridiculously clunky. These guys have got it. They've put the technology together. They've made sure that everything's going forward. And they're basically looking for net inflows for around about $9 billion, which is, hmm. uh, you know, the banks would be very jealous of the amount of money that's going into these things. So they've got the financial planners now working really well. They've got even got stockbrokers moving into these kinds of things as well. So look, I, I can I can only see this thing moving higher right. uh, okay. in the near and longer term. Yeah, $41 billion under management at the moment. Uh, Nathan, what do you think of Hub24? It's in that sector, sort of Hub24, NetWealth are the big players, aren't they? Yeah, it's uh, they're the leaders. Um, everyone else struggling. Um, you, it's an interesting one because that sector went into a bit more comp- competition with the bigger play, the, the, the older players um, starting to cut their margins and squeezing them. Um, we thought the sector would get into a bit of trouble there. Um, that's where quality came in. Uh, look, Hub is one of the best players as far as how they service clients, how well they've done with technology. NetWealth is probably the closest that held up with them. Um, I remember back in the day, friends of mine who were working at GDST, and they said, Hub has better customer service. <laughs> that kind of, so, you know, told me a number of years ago how good Hub was. Uh, Hub is by far the best. Um, 
Yeah, is that priced in? It's an interesting one because it's one of those where every broker is playing the same game where the target price is probably where the share price is, but they all have a buy because it's a bit like Kodan. You know on the back of their head, you don't want to go negative on these guys because they keep doing well and they get you wrong. So it's right. one of those ones where everyone looks at it and says it's expensive, um, but they just keep grinding out returns. So I think they're, you know the model is pretty solid and continues to deliver. My only worry is there's a lot of guys, the older guys who are struggling at some point uh, have to come back into competition. They have to start cutting margins and squeezing everyone. Now, if that happens to the sector um, and if there's consolidation plays out and the smaller guys get swallowed by um, other guys and then they get to scale, there'll be more competition. That will take time. Um, so, you know, that's the one to keep an eye on. When that happens and competition starts to rise, then you start to worry about Hub. But at this point, I think Hub does well and continues to do well. You know, it's a bit like aristocrat for the gaming. You buy the best guy yeah. because you know he's going to do the best in the sector. And Hub has been that and has been proven that. Yeah, would you be buying it at these levels? Yeah, you know me. Uh, I, you know, it's about risk return. When I mean, you're picking yeah. 10, 15 stocks, uh, yeah, it's, it's the same reason I have with Kodak. I yeah. keep hitting my head you know, against yeah. a brick wall. You should buy it, but I don't. And Hub is one where I was a big fan in the original run, and then it got expensive, and it just keeps getting expensive and expensive, and I, I just can't get myself to do it. Yeah. Um, but then, sort of, it's interesting to get an insight in, into your thinking because it really does come down to management, does it? And the executives oh, yeah. of these companies. Yes, you look at the earnings per share and you say, geez, it looks expensive at the moment. But if it's always been expensive and always delivered, yeah. That gives you some comfort, doesn't yeah. it? That you have, yeah. you're a, you're in the right stock. Yeah, we, got, yeah we, we value stocks completely different to what a fundamental analyst would do. A fundamental analyst looks at it on relative to its business, relative to its sector. We look at every stock relative to its own history and against its sector. So if you look at CSL, CSL will always look expensive, but you know I always say it's the best growth stock in the market. And it'll give you every you know, couple of years, it'll give you a 40% pullback and you buy it at that time and then don't look at it. Um, it's one of those things when you've got to look at things relative. So, you know, the best growth stocks will always look expensive because of the high growth stocks. You know, you look at Ordinate, you look at Altium, you know, they are going to be expensive. But um, in, in context, relative to their own history, sometimes they get a bit haywire and that's where you want to get out of. And I mean, I don't think Hub is that extreme. But at the moment, if you're looking at 10 to 15 stocks, I think you're not going to be buying that as your best option, but I think it's a top business. Right. Okay. So basically put you as a hold on that. Yeah. Yep. All right. Uh, let's recap the first five stocks. We had two stocks of the day, Qantas and uh, Flight Centre. Qantas is a hold from Adam, uh, a no from Nathan, Flight Centre a no from both. Uh, some Barbara, no, from both of that gold sector. Uh, look at Northern Star, St. Regis, Gold Road, um, those sorts of uh, better alternatives, better run companies. Uh, but Marn, a no from both. Uh, ReadyTech, a yes from both uh, Adam and Mathan. Uh, AVA, risk, a no. And Hub24, a hold from Mathan and a yes from Adam. Um, here on the call, we've been tracking our own fantasy portfolio since the 1st of July last year, thanks to our partner, Nabtrade. Any stocks like ReadyTech that 
get the two thumbs up from our expert panel goes into the portfolio. Um, if they comes up again in front of a, a different panel, if, it, if it's a hold, it stays in the portfolio. Um, if it's not a buy, it then comes out of the portfolio. So let's check to see how we've been going. Uh, for the week, up almost one and three quarter percent. For the month, up three percent. And since the first of July, um, this financial year, last month, up almost four uh, percent. Since inception, since the first of July, twenty twenty, uh, the portfolio is currently up forty percent in value. Uh, taking a look at some of the stocks recently added: Unity Group, Beacon Lighting. Macquarie Telecom, MSL Solutions and Magnus Energy Technologies. Uh, hasn't that been on a tear the last week or two? Um, some of the stocks removed, the Vanguard Global Value uh, ETF, Western Areas, Jettison Education and Virgin Money. If you want to check out all the stocks in the calls portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And just a reminder, if you know someone who's interested in investing, but they don't know where to start and they don't know who we are. Now's the time to let them know. For each friend you join, get to join Ausbiz. We'll give you uh, both one entry into our prize pool draw of a chance to win one of six prizes worth $10,000, including a $5,000 self-wealth trading account. To enter, just use the referral code in your COB newsletter every afternoon and share with your networks. And uh, if you haven't subscribed already, do so, osbiz.co forward slash join, where you can read all the terms and conditions. Entries close 5th of September. All right, let's get into uh, uh, the second part of the call. And Nathan Sam wants a view on uh, Sinlay Milk, um, the dairy processing company in uh, in New Zealand. Um, sells its products mainly right there around Asia, uh, powdered milk and uh, a range of other milk products has just over the last six months or so uh, renegotiated all their funding facilities. Yeah, look, I'm a fan of food products, um, especially where we are in the cycle with the inflation, I think, but there's a timing for everything. And when the macro comes in your favor, you want to be in this. It's Sinlate is one. It's it's a it's a pretty good well well it's a well-run business, but it's just it's just a bad cycle for them. Uh, they're in you know one of their major shareholder uh, is A2 Milk, and uh, you know you look you just have to look at the A2 Milk share price, and Sinlate just yeah. follows it. Um, so it's just a tough outlook at the moment. Milk is not a, a commodity that's under supply side shock. There's uh, plenty of milk everywhere. Uh, so it's one of those ones where you want to be with the guy who makes the money. So Sinlate actually doesn't make much. I mean, they do all the hard work, but they don't make most of the money. The margin is with A2 milk. So <laughs> it's one of those ones, the guy who does the marketing gets the money uh, and the guy who does the actual dirty work doesn't actually get most of the money. <laughs> uh, so if you want to play the thematic, it's, you know, it's actually not worth going to the guy who produces the milk. It hasn't been for a long time. It's the guy who makes the branding and the packaging and selling it to the customer. That's the guy who's making most of the margins. So again, as well as these guys have done in a tough sector, you just don't get the returns for the risk that you're taking. Everything has risk and this one has the same risk. It just doesn't give you the return. So if you're gonna play this one, you wanna look at the guy with the margins. It's the guy who's got the retail brand and Sinlay doesn't have that. So 
Are you saying go A2 milk? No, I, I, look, <laughs> we got out of A2 milk last year uh, when they got rid of the CEO. And I still don't see the reason why you want to get into A2 milk. Right. So that just tells me even less of a reason to be in Sinlay. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we've traded Ingham Chicken. We've traded Tassel. Uh, we've traded Select Harvest. I think Select Harvest still looks okay uh, because if you look at what's happening in California, the supply demand actually works for them. Um, so there are certain foods that play well. If you're looking outside that, I'm hugely positive on the agriculture farming sector. So we're long Elders, we're long Instec Pivot, we're long New Farm. I'd look at them. Um, so they're the more, you know, especially if you look at the global uh, agricultural sector index, it's on a rip for the last 10, 15 years. So that thematic still plays and plays well. So look by New Farm or Instec Pivot. Yeah. Uh, Elders has been described to me as a basically an agricultural uh, LIC, but it gives you, a, if you want agriculture, you know, you've got real estate in there, finance, land, yeah, everything. Yeah. So it, yeah. It's a cycle, right? Elders used to be, I don't know, five, six years ago, it was a complete mess. Now it's a top quality business. Yeah. So yeah. you, uh, you and, should be there. Yeah, you should be there when they're doing that. Adam, what do you think of Sinlay? Yeah, look, I'm with Nathan on this one. I mean, I actually prefer A2 milk. Uh, if you were pushed to look at anything, uh, Sinlay has, has, has come back with, uh, you know, net profit guidance uh, to a loss of sort of 20 to 30 million New Zealand. Uh, they've talked about shipping delays. Uh, they've talked about inventory valuations, uh, those kinds of things, and they're guiding to a lower year. And you can, if you definitely, definitely put this against the chart of the ASX 200, you'd see a very clear divergence around sort of January 2020. It just sort of moved the other way. So I just don't think you need to be there. A2 Milk is probably the better one for a turnaround story. So that's probably where I'd like to be. Uh, but it's a no from me, Koshi. Okay. It's interesting you're not the only one that's saying A2 Milk because even though they've been destroyed by the trade wars out of China, their management's quite well respected uh, and the yeah, business model yeah, seems yeah, pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and certainly the balance sheet is there as well, uh, you know, but it is a turnaround story. It is going to take some time. I think A2 reported this morning or was it yesterday? I think uh, one of the other, and the stock's think, down. Yeah. Reported. Yes, uh, look, I, I like to jump in there and say A2 Milk's management track record was great until middle of last year. Right. After that, they got they've yeah. gone downgrade yeah. after downgrade after downgrade. And when they let go of the lady now running uh, Virgin, now she was yep. bang on. She uh, ran right. the business as well as anyone. The minute she walked out and they came out with a very flimsy reason why they had the management change, uh, we got out because multiples were high, management change, um, macro was turning against them. Since then, they've just been going downgrade after downgrade. The only saving grace for A2 Milk at the moment is, you have to think about it, it's a high growth stock. People are pricing it like a high growth stock. It's only a high growth stock if they're selling in China. Yep. So until that turns around, it's a low growth stock. Mm. Yep, good point. All right, uh, let's move on. And uh, Dion wants a view, uh, Adam, on Bike Exchange. Now, only recently listed, um, Dion yep. says increasing profits from their online presence, some higher margins from their merchants over the last quarter, 
Uh, Dion says, I can see it's very thinly traded, but as a retail investor, could there be some more upside given the company has yet to use their IPO funds? And I believe that will be used for more European exposure. Yeah, look, it's an interesting one. And, and Shore and Partners actually listed this one. So I'm, a, I'm, I'm pretty close to it as far as uh, w w what I see. We actually have a buy on it. It is a high-risk stock. So everyone out there, just be careful. It is a high-risk stock. Uh, but we do have a price target of 33 cents. Now, it is below IPO price at the moment. I think I saw it was like 19 or 17 cents. So, um, you know, be a little bit cautious. It is below that IPO price. But um, the Bike Exchange is a technology-driven global marketplace where it connects consumers and retailers of bicycle products and accessories. So it seems pretty simple, uh, putting people together. But the reason why we do like this one is, is that it does have some very large industry tailwinds. And that is that the global bicycle market is forecast to grow 5.5% compound annual growth rate, CAGR, uh, over the next four years to $80 billion in 2026. Now, that's a massive uh, marketplace that these guys can play in. But it has been driven by the shift towards cycling as a mode of transport, environmental targets, global infrastructure, physical and mental and health benefits. So all of those things put together just means that, you know, we should all be riding our bikes or all should be doing a little bit more fitness and those kinds of things. And I think the bike exchange does quite well. You're right. They are looking to acquire some more businesses. And that is more in the B2B uh, sector. So getting retailers and getting those guys to come together to, to work, but then also with the B2C, so in other words, the business to customer side of things, um, they are looking to make sure that works well as well. So um, look, this one is a, is a good little one. You've got to be a little bit careful here because it is under IPO price. So I'm, I'm always a little bit cautious. It is going to take some time to get this thing moving, but I'm going to mm -hmm. stick with our analysts on this one. It's a buy from okay. me, Koshi. Uh, Dorsey, are you a man of Lycra? You're a no, I'm not a mammal, and uh, and uh, I'm not not a middle-aged man in lycra. Uh, or I mean, I like coffee, but I don't like sitting in lycra at the at the uh, <laughs> sipping my uh, little short blacks or espresso. So no, it's uh, it's a no from me on okay. that one, Koshi. After paying a dollar ninety-three a litre for ninety-five unleaded um, yes. last Sunday night, I might become a man in Lycra too, uh, <laughs> with the price gouging of petrol stations, totally different uh, issue. Um, Nathan, are you, uh, um, do you feel comfortable in Lycra? Are you a, a bikey type bloke? <laughs> Uh, I've got plenty of bikies around my area, uh, but uh, no, I'm not in the Lycra. Um, mind you, back in the day when I was young and uh, playing cricket, uh, I used to wear uh, tights. So there was a certain amount of Lycra involved then, back in those days. That's, uh, you know, that's another story. Mind you, uh, all I can say is, you, you know, if you want to go grab coffee, if they don't grab you on the bike, they'll grab you on the coffee. Nowadays, it's what, five bucks for a coffee? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's a bit like robbery. Well, but, but my colleague Mark Beretta on Sunrise is, does all these bike tours and stuff he does, like that. Yeah. Flaming heck, they're expensive. He's got a $10,000 push bike. Cannot believe yes. it. Well, a friend of mine, one of my close mates that I shared an apartment with when we left uni, um, he had five bikes. And, he, you know, when we moved in together, the living room had two bikes inside. Each of those bikes were worth between five to 10 grand. Wow. Uh, it's, 
you know, he, his, his idea of a weekend is to ride to Wollongong and back. Right, OK. All right, he can, yeah. he can have that. What do you think of bike exchange? Should that look, be where I, you put I, your money and get a, yeah, look, a bit of the, the margin that's ripping your mate off? Yeah, I know. Um, I think it's interesting, but, you know, I'm always, uh, as Dorsey said, uh, you know, when it trades, un- uh, well, when an IPO underperforms over the first six to nine months, historically, that's not a good sign. But their saving grace is the fact that they've just come into a pandemic uh, uh, and that's going to hurt them. Um, look, I can see what they're trying to do and I think it'll take a bit of time. Europe is a natural place for that. Uh, I think it'll do well, but this story will take a bit of time and I think the pandemic will delay it even further. So in that context, I'm not rushing into it. I am keeping an eye on it because everything has a price. Um, you know, if the market has a bit of a pullback and everyone panics and they throw things out, this would be one of those ones that I'll be looking at. Because you, if you look at the open, you know, opening up economy thematic on the in the medium to long term, some of these stocks will get beaten up. And you know, one of my fan favorite is O Media. Again, it's very cheap, and when it gets beaten up, that's when you want to buy it and you want to sit on it for six to twelve months. When the market gets excited, these things have a huge run. Yep. So again. I wouldn't jump into it right now, but if the market has a pullback and everyone throws it out, this would be one I'd be buying. Okay. All right. Um, and next, uh, we have two questions on our next stock. So I thought I'd put them both together. It's on Fortescue. Um, of course, Australia's sort of pure play listed iron ore miner. Andrew Forrest um, was the founder of it. Uh, John wants to know, with the recent rapid deterioration in the iron ore price, um, is it now time to sell out of all the iron ore producers, especially FMG with its poorer quality ore and being a one-horse wonder? And Gabriel says, uh, as a long-term investment and a green hydrogen play, not so much as a cyclical iron ore investment, considering its ammonia deposits and the work in Fortescue Future Industries, is it a good buy considering the late, late, latest share price decline? Nathan, what do you think of Fortescue? Yeah, look, uh, we, I was working for the firm who I think originally raised money for FMG. Um, it was a complete uh, risk bucket that turned into one of the great businesses that has been run as well as any business in the last uh, five to 10 years. Um, look, it's a phenomenally well-run business. It's a one-trick pony. It's one mother of a pony. If you've got to have a one-trick pony, you want it to be this good and you want to be ridden this well. Uh, so, look, they're going to be churning out dividends. They're going to be doing well. I'm not, you know, through the whole story of green and going into that, what they're going to do, uh, I think they're going to do other things. They're going to diversify the model. Um, looking at how well they've managed the business, I'm willing to back them. The question would be, um, is now the time to buy in? So, you know, to put context, we got out of all our mining stocks around May, June. Uh, we thought what we were seeing out of the Chinese data were telling us that things were going to come off, um, and it has. Um, do I think it's now is the time to jump in? Just to give you context of the seasonality, we're probably in weak seasonal period for um, commodities, uh, even iron ore. So I don't think it's going to do a lot over the next couple of months. So you might get it cheaper. But look, it's a well-run business. But the thing about these multiples in these kind of mining stocks is you have to think complete opposite to what you normally think. You buy these stocks when they look extremely expensive and you sell them when they look cheap. 
because when they're cheap, commodity prices are all-time high and everyone knows about it. So FNG yeah. is relatively cheap. So that's why I don't get excited. People haven't thrown it out yet. So I'm waiting for people to throw it out. Uh, it's a very well-run business and you know the reflation cycle is in. I think in the medium term, it'll they'll do well, but in the shorter term, I'll probably get it cheaper. So I'm staying out of it for now. Hmm. Okay. All right. Something to put on your watch list if it, uh, a big pullback. Adam? Yeah, look, it's an interesting one because really it is all about iron ore. So the share price does follow the commodity price. And looking at that, the commodity price for iron ore has come from a very high $220 down to 145 or something where it is today. Can it go lower? Most analysts have got sort of $85. And in fact, I think David, you re, you'd remind me, but I think the government's got $65, $50 for iron ore in their uh, in their budget. So, look, there, there there is some fair, there is a bit of downside left on that iron ore price if if it does come down. One thing that I would say is we did speak to BHP today uh, about their result uh, a week or so ago, and they were, um, and, and to their words, the, the CEO basically said that he was very surprised at how quickly the iron ore price rallied to that $220 and then obviously for subsequently falling back as well. So I think that iron ore price, I mean, obviously for us, it, it surprises, but then even the companies that are in there uh, also def definitely surprise them. Getting back to Fortescue, look, I, I think this one, you would look to buy it after the dividend. Okay, now everyone's buying this thing for the dividend because it, we know that it is going to be a very, very good dividend. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think Fortescue has reported yet. Uh, no, next but, week. Um, next week. Uh, so next next what, week, which what, is the end of the reporting season when, and and I don't want to be too general about this, a lot of the dodgy companies report, but Fortescue <laughs> stands out because everyone's waiting for it. It's a great business. So, so sort of a bit of a highlight the, the, next week. The dodgy ones are on the Friday of the last day at four yep. o'clock that yep. announced, yeah? That, they're the dodgy ones, all right? So just be mindful of that. Um, so, yeah, look, uh, I think... Yeah, exactly. You, you buy it after the dividend, okay? We know yep. the dividend is going to be massive. And look, if you want the dividend, you don't... Uh, I don't buy resource stocks for income. And, that's, and, and everybody should repeat that again. Do not buy resource stocks for dividends. But we know this dividend is going to be very good. I think that, that the, the price is being held up a little bit for that dividend and the result. So I would buy it after the dividend, potentially a couple of days after that, because that's when the heat will start to come out of the stock because nobody really needs to own it for another six months for the next dividend. So as a strategy, I'm holding off um, buying any more BHP until the 2nd of September when, the next, when their right. $2.70 dividend comes out. And I'll do the same for Fortescue. I think that'll look better in a year's time for clients' uh, clients' portfolios. Okay. All right, uh, just Sienna. Just jumping in there. Uh, the last time when market was talking about miners being dividend stocks was 2015. And the thing that we learned through that cycle is they pay a dividend, a proportion of their earnings. And their earnings are highly correlated to commodity prices. When commodity prices fall, earnings fall and dividends fall. And Dorsey's right. Uh, this is probably peak dividend because the way the commodity prices have played out. Yep. And if we think that settles down lower, so does the dividends. Okay. Uh, Adam mm. Siena wants a view on Reliance Worldwide, the big plumbing manufacturer. Um, yep. uh, factories across uh, Australia, Asia, Pacific. Um, pretty good result earlier this week. Bit of a bump up in the share price. 
Yeah, it was. And that's probably why I'm going to say it's a hold because that share price movement definitely surprised, I think, a lot of people in the market. Uh, most brokers have sort of raised their price targets to around about sort of 570 from sort of 550. So again, they're sort of just moving up with the share price. But I'd be a little bit cautious here. And the reason why I, I am cautious is that they did not provide specific guidance for 2022. Again, another company that's not providing guidance. And the group pointed to continued market support, but expect growth rates to slow significantly. And certainly that is the language that I'd look at, potentially that you'd be a little bit cautious up here. I think you can still hold the stock. I like the, uh, I like the business, but I wouldn't be putting fresh money into this one here. I think I'd be cautious just on those lack of outlook guidance for me. Okay, Nathan? Look, it's, it's the construction cycle. Um, you know, everything that's linked to the construction cycle on a global basis have done well. Um, you've got low rates, um, government handouts, um, construction is their only place to be, well, has been. Um, and so they've benefited from all of that. And they've done really well. Uh, I have to say, they've uh, kept beating expectations over the last six to 12 months. Um, and that's been the thematic for the market. The market expected them to do well, but they've done better than well. Uh, they had a massive acquisition that's worked out perfectly. Uh, so everything's worked out well. Um, so you're not getting a surprise factor that's going to come through, um, as Dorsey said. I think the, the risk is they disappoint. Uh, the expectations are high, multiples are high, they've done well. It looks cheap on a relative basis because everyone thinks they're going to keep doing it. I don't think they can. I think the, the overall macro doesn't suggest that. As things slow down, uh, this sector will come off and these guys will struggle. So. Look, it's a great business. If you've been there, I wouldn't say sell, hold on to it. They're doing well till they get something wrong. But if you're putting fresh money and if you want a construction um, exposure, just look for the really, really ugly one. And the ugly one is Lend-Lease. Uh, you know, you get the other side of that trade, the construction. Right. Everything that can go wrong, they do wrong. So, you, you, you know, if you wanted to play that cycle, buy the ugly guy. And okay. so that's where I would put my money right. if I wanted to play Okay, our final stock is uh, C-Link Travel Group. Jasmine wants to know, uh, is it just being propped up by JobKeeper um, in the most recent result or does it have potential? Of course, it owns um, uh, Captain Cook Ferries, uh, uh, the Kangaroo Island Ferry. It owns a whole bunch of buses, owns 80 ferries. So it's not just tourism. They're, they're working boats as, and it's a working transport company, Nathan. Uh, what do you think of Sea Lake? Yeah, look, I've actually learned to like this business. Uh, the management is really good. Uh, they've divested into the buses and they're doing a lot more day-to-day uh, -day business. Um, yes, JobKeeper, so is, you know, there's a hell of a lot of businesses I can say it's been held up by JobKeeper. They're paying big dividends and bonuses as well. So I, I wouldn't just blame Sea Link. Uh, look, I, I think it's a really well-run business. Uh, obviously, it's a turnaround that'll take a bit of time, uh, but it, look, it's priced for what it is. Uh, I think it's well-priced. Management is really good. I don't want to chase it. But if you are in it, I wouldn't sell it either uh, because they have another leg if things improve. And if you think opening up works play and then tourism comes in you know, early next year, uh, then they will get another leg out of it. So it's a really high-quality business. I struggle to buy it now. But if you've held it through and you've had the bounce, then yep. I wouldn't be selling it. Adam? Yeah, I know I've only got uh, a couple of seconds on this one, but I uh, wish we had this one earlier because it's a good one to explore. I think this one is a, a, a really interesting business. And 
and seen to be a uh, an essential service for a, a lot of things. So the business has continued to keep going, even though potentially the travel numbers have been down. One of the biggest things that I worry about this one is they do have a large diesel fleet and they will need to uh, shift to a low emission fleet sometime yeah. down the line. So there's going to be a bit of capex to move that business into a more of an ESG uh, thematic. But some of the contract wins that they've had over the last year or so, the Singapore contract and even the Brisbane ferries is a recent testament to their track record. So I actually like this business. I don't own it um, and I've been sort of slow to uptake it, but I, I like this price action. It's gone up and now it's just moving sideways. I like that price action. I think that's a, a real good consolidation. So look, it's an okay, it's a yes from me. I think this one um, will do well. There's a couple of things that it needs to work on, uh, but I, I actually like it. Mm. And um, yeah, I can't say much more. It's, it's, it's a good business. Yeah, I know sir, a couple of the South Australian directors who are pretty well credentialed as well. Um, all right. Uh, Adam Gills from Shuram Partners, Nathan Thomas and Durham from Deep Data Analytics. Great to see you, gents. Appreciate your time today you. on the call. Thanks. Thanks, Gosh. All right. Uh, that's all we have time for. Quick recap of the final five stocks. Uh, Sinlay, a no from both. Adam prefers A2 as a turnaround stock. Uh, um, Nathan Elders. Bike Exchange, a no from Nathan. Um, a high risk buy from Adam. Uh, he was involved in the flight of it through Shore Partners, so uh, uh, has a link there. Uh, Fortescue, a great run company. Uh, a no from Nathan at the moment. He reckons you'll be able to get it cheaper. Um, Adam says it's a buy after they pay their dividend. They're going to report next week. Big dividend payout. Uh, look at buying it when the share price pulls back after the dividend. Uh, Reliance, a hold from both. And C-Link, a hold from Nathan. And a yes from Adam. Uh, if you want any stocks looked at by our expert panel, uh, put them in an e email to us, the call at ausbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at TV handle. A reminder, all the stocks in the call's fantasy portfolio, ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. <laughs>